Welcome to Creative On Purpose Live. These conversations are about flying higher and the difference only you can make. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Onward and Difference Maker Coach at Akimba Workshops and Creative On Purpose. You can visit creativeonpurpose.com to start living your legacy today. This season, we're drawing insight and inspiration from guests successfully embracing uncertainty, navigating adversity, and making things better doing work that matters. Let's meet today's guest. Natalie Esparza, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell the viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where can they connect with you to learn more about you and the difference you make. Yeah, thank you, Scott, so much for having me on today. My name is Natalie M. Esparza, and I believe everything can change when you ask the right questions. At a young age, I actually earned this the nickname Senorita Pregunta, which is Spanish for Miss Question. And I'm a naturally inquisitive author, speaker, and coach on a mission to help people embrace and normalize taboo subjects, including mental health, religious trauma, and sexual identity. And my first book just came out last week, <laughs> which is crazy to say. So after escaping an abusive relationship, it all started with one question from my first therapist, what do you like? And when I couldn't answer that, I had some work to do. I knew I had some work to do. Um, my book is a brave account of my personal battle with abuse, depression, religious trauma, and accepting my pansexuality. And with each story, I prompt my readers with questions meant to encourage self-exploration and to spark change. I wanna teach that we don't have to have all the answers, but when we lean into curiosity, we can experience the transformation that we seek. And the best way to reach me is at my um, website right there at nsprz.com. Fantastic. Wow. That was, this is the thing that I love about you is to me, you are a young person who is just very self-possessed. You seem to have a very clear sense of who you are, who you're trying to become, and uh, just always really showing up thoughtfully and generously. You and I collide in various places in the Akimbo sphere, uh, which is, um, Seth Godin's uh, founded uh, workshops, but now owned and operated by Marie Schott and Alex Peck as a B Corps. Uh, but you and I collide, I guess, most often weekly at the Monday morning meetups in Forward Link. And you, you're always, uh, you know, it's just very impressive to me uh, because I don't think, oh, I think I'm probably still trying to catch up to you, but I wasn't even halfway there uh, by the time I was your age. So just really grateful for who you are and the way you show up and the difference that you're making in all the places that I catch you in and beyond, I'm quite sure. So you didn't give us too many things to unpack there, um, Natalie. It seems <laughs> like your life is just rainbows and cotton candy and unicorns. So I don't know, maybe we should just go ahead and hop off. But since we have a, a, about 30 minutes together, I would love to know, like, how did you, what was the moment mm -hmm. where you decided that you were no longer settling for the status quo of all this mm. challenge that you were facing and decided that you were going to uh, step out and step into your potential and step into a better possibility? It's a really good question. And I think the very first thing that came to mind is that there was no single moment. Um, I can do my best to kind of speak to a few of them. But I think especially writing the book and looking back on my life, it was a struggle. It, it took years and years of, um, 
I think the time that I really started coming home to myself was actually in 2016. Um, and I had no idea that I had chronic depression. And so it was probably one of the darkest few, it was the darkest period of my life. So 2016 to 2018, I was really, really struggling and didn't know it. And I thought that I was doing something wrong because everything was falling apart. But actually looking back on it, I was releasing what didn't work for me anymore, which felt like the world was ending. <laughs> um, that's when I started, you know, questioning religion, just growing up, I had a lot of questions in the church and never got them answered or never got any satisfying answers. And so I took a religion class and I was also studying um, the hero with a thousand faces with, um, I forgot who the author is right now. Um, yes, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and all of that. I was actually studying Star Wars with those topics and I was studying religion in a, a class in tandem, two different teachers. Um, and I started drawing conclusions or connections that were personal to me that um, religion, one, it felt like no single one was correct. And also that all of them were more of a hero's journey than a, a owner's manual <laughs> I don't know, to life. Um, and so it was really confusing because I grew up being taught, you know, I, I grew up Christian and I grew up in the church and I grew up learning that curiosity was something to be avoided. Mm. And I actually remember in high school, right before going to college, there was a specific sermon series for the seniors going into the freshman year of college where you were kind of warned that you were going to lose, or it was possible to lose your faith in college and they're going to really challenge your beliefs and why you shouldn't let that happen. And all I heard was don't ask questions. <laughs> and I, I found like, I, I something I felt like there was a red flag there, but I couldn't put words to it. I didn't have the words at the moment, and now I do. So I think 2016 was kind of the the beginning of the unraveling. And 2020 January was actually when I started my ever first um, depression medication, and things began to click. Hmm. And so because I grew up as a bright kid. I still am. <laughs> but when you grow up like that and you, you, your parents and your society has really high expectations of you and you're exceeding them, things like mental health often go overlooked. Um, and so I think I've probably had chronic depression since I was 12, now that I know what it looks like and feels like. But I thought I was being a moody teenager and just never outgrew it. <laughs> mm. um, and it was always something I was pushing through and trying to compensate for but I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I love about your insight about it wasn't one single thing is it points to what's become a theme in the conversations in this season, beginning with the conversation with Jacqueline Novogratz, where we often think of our journey as this series of, of reinventions of ourselves, when actually, if you pause and take a look back, most of us and the hero's journey is a great metaphor. We see a theme, we see the arc of our adventures and we can see a through line. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's less about this reinventing of who we are, but more of a continuing to step into and becoming mm -hmm. who we are meant to be or who we seek to be or how, you know, however you want to frame it. And so I, I, I just love that you, you kind of caught that uh, in my question because I, 
I totally agree that it's, you know, we're, if we have that self-awareness and the, the other thing that leaps to mind is another theme has been this idea of trusting yourself. And I always reference the Goethe quote, which I've been chewing on since I was much younger than you, which is as soon as you trust yourself, you will know how to live. And it sounds like you had this moment where the wee small voice of aspiration spoke to you and you said, yes, uh, it, it maybe had been denying or, or running from that voice up until that point, or, or am I misreading what you were saying? No, it's actually funny. I was trying to, you know, the next thing that came up to mind for me was imposter syndrome and kind of tackling that. And so I feel like that really feeds into what you're asking of trusting yourself. And that is still a journey. I'm still in the process of do I follow what society tells me to do or am I going to listen to my gut, which tells me to be very different than anyone else that you might see on on the side of the, the road. So, yeah, trusting myself is still a journey I'm walking. And 2020 especially was a lot of intentionally dismantling imposter syndrome. Mm. And one of my favorite moments um, regarding that was I was in a coaching session. I was being coached and I was talking about feeling like an imposter and being intimidated by the responsibility of showing up, but that a lot of people said they looked up to me and were always asking for my advice. And sometimes they were twice my age and the coach paused and like said, hold on a second. I just want to say like for the committee here, <laughs> um, if someone is asking for your advice, that is the exact opposite of an imposter. That's someone who knows what's up. And it kind of hit me in the face <laughs> that I was the one labeling myself an imposter, but other people saw me as a leader and were asking me for help. This is the second conversation I've had today. So I was in, in your chair just, just before we got on this call, um, being interviewed by someone and imposter syndrome came up and it's... <laughs> This morning, during my social media routine, which is literally 10 minutes long, where I just am sharing my quote images and maybe a link to a blog post, I came across on every single platform in my newsfeed with somebody talking about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And what I was hearing were, were, were you know, things like three steps to, to destroying your imposter how to tie your imposter up and put them in the back seat and keep driving, you know? So like all these things that were very like antagonistic and, mm -hmm. and kind of confrontational. And I just thought you, you don't get it. Like, because the imposter is not the enemy. The imposter actually is just an evolutionary construct that, used to keep us alive, right? Um, it kept you humble and hiding and part of a tribe which helped you survive. And so the, the great struggle is, okay, how do we take this thing that we're probably never gonna get rid of, so not worth fighting, like fighting your imposter sounds really exhausting. Um, it doesn't, it sounds like a game you can't win. So what if you danced with it instead? What if you um, found a way to befriend it? Which is, you know, your imposter shows up when you're stepping into potential impossibility, your imposter shows up when you're on the path, your imposter is actually a compass confirming that the direction that you're heading is worth exploring um, because it only shows up when it wants to pull you back and keep you where you are or worse, you know, 
put you back into hiding. So sorry, that just kind of leaped out because it's it's so it's so fresh from my last conversation. But I heard some of that and what you were just saying. Yeah, and you're talking about it being antagonistic, and it reminds me of Elizabeth Gilbert talking about punching fear in the face and how actually fear is your friend it's keeping you alive it just doesn't get to take the wheel of the car it gets to right. kind of sit in the back and you comfort it like an inner child and you're like thank you so much however we're going to keep going <laughs> and also recently realizing that growth requires you to feel like an imposter because you're doing something before you feel ready mm -hmm. and once i finally started really understanding that i was like oh i have to start calling myself something before i feel qualified to be called that because that's when people are going to take me seriously. They're not going to hand me responsibility. I have to take it um, or own it. Take it sounds a little antagonistic too, but yeah, I think you know what I mean. Well, it's, it's about owning your power, like acknowledging and yeah. then owning your power, your agency. And so I think what we're both pointing to is, you know, the, the conversation that we have with our imposter is narrative hmm. it's how we make sense of ourselves and the world and each other and you know i say all the time choose your story choose your future which sounds like it's simple because it is simple it's just that simple is never easy but <laughs> in any moment we can hit the pause button and start telling ourselves a different story that will promote a greater sense of he health and happiness and equanimity um and 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 fuel are better angels as opposed to fueling uh, uh, a narrative of self-doubt, self-loathing, you know, whatever it is. And so that you, it sounds to me like this is this is how your book came to be. This is how you kind of changed your life is I'm in charge of how I frame my situation and what I decide to do next. It might not be perfect, it might not be pretty, um, but I'm going to be the hero of my own story as opposed to letting life continue to happen to me. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I was always waiting until I felt old enough to write a book. <laughs> I assumed that as a 25 year old, um, people were not gonna take me seriously. Um, in fact, I've had that happen when I was 19. I, for some reason, got it in my head that I wanted to be a Ziegler certified speaker. And I actually called them and tried to ask, you know, for more information so I could plan and save up the money and go through the program. And I got laughed off the phone. And they basically said, come back when you have more experience, kid. We're looking for seasoned, you know, people in their careers. And <laughs> For five years, I let that affect me. I actually believed him. And so I started shrinking a little bit and just being like, oh, I guess my dreams are too big. And now I'm kind of pushing against that in the last two years now. And I'm glad I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's, what leaps to mind is, you know, as, as someone that is seasoned um, and still seeking to develop my potential and deliver on my promise and uh, often giving myself permission to, to try and do things that people would never give me permission to do if I, if I asked or if I wanted to play by the rules. But, you know, we, we come across these gatekeepers. Some of them are um, self, uh, you know, self-proclaimed and, and some of them are, are real. Uh, it sounds like you had to go through a gatekeeper if you were going to go through this program. Um, and, 
you know, we've all been there. We've all been laughed out of the room. Uh, and the, the, the direct, what I, what's coming up for me is, you know, how do we, how do we leverage that moment? Because that person that laughed you off the phone, they thought they were doing what they were supposed to do. They thought that they were doing the right thing. I mean, and not to excuse the behavior, but it's fascinating, you know, that again, it's a, it's about narrative. They were telling themselves a story about themselves and about you that made them feel better about themselves by making you feel, by making you feel poorly about yourself. I don't even know. Yeah. And, and, and all that's unconscious, right? I mean, that they weren't, they, they didn't, they weren't motivated by making you, it was like, oh, geez, I hope a, a, a young, um, a young 25 year old uh, calls me up and asks uh, to come into the program so I can laugh them out of the room. I mean, no, very few people are actually full-blown psychopaths or sociopaths. So much of it is unconscious. So I guess the question then is, well, it sounds like in your response, you actually, you could have just unconsciously attached to that narrative and felt badly. And instead you hit the pause button on the reaction and, and framed a response that allowed you to leverage that moment to continue to step into potential impossibility by going somewhere else or going in a different direction. Sort of. I, I mean, that happened when I was 19. So I actually did take it to heart a little bit and I regret doing that. But now it's a story I can tell about. Don't take that to heart. Um, but yeah, I, I, that happened before 2016. And then I had my depressive episode where I was questioning myself a lot and I didn't believe in myself or believe any of my dreams were possible. Um, and then in 2020 on, I mean, that's when I did the Alt MBA. That's when I did the Emerging Leaders program. That's when I decided I actually dropped out of a master's program to write this book because I thought I wanted one thing and I realized the way to get it wasn't more education. Mm. It was to start actually making the difference. And in order to do that, the first one, the first thing I wanted to do was write a book. So I'm curious about this because um, I didn't write my first book until I was in my fifties. And uh you know, what I, the, the, the big benefit for me, I mean, you know, I make enough on my book sales every month to take my wife out to dinner. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's funding my retirement or, or, or paying my mortgage, but the, the big benefit has nothing to do with how many people read it or, or how much, you know, how much Amazon sends me every month. It's, it's the, how it helped me organize my ideas, arrive at greater clarity about who I am and what I'm here to do and, and gain confidence in the process that I'm, that I'm developing to help others discover, develop and deliver the difference only they can make. So I'm just curious, what was the, what was the process like and what has writing this book, how has it helped you in terms of the clarity and confidence piece? Yeah. Um, There's a couple different points rolling around my head. So the first thing is I got lucky with this program and it was someone teaching you how to write your first book as if it were your second. So you're not a first time author, 
most first-time authors have this idea of what writing a book takes and often try to write it chronologically and try to write it all by themselves and then turn in a draft and think they're done and all of that. And so I actually had a developmental editor um, come with me through five months of writing the first draft and turning that first draft in was really uncomfortable because I'm a perfectionist and there were still holes in it and it just it wasn't it was good it wasn't great and I knew that and then I uh, submitted it to the acquiring editor and they read it and gave me like I didn't ever work with them they just gave me a bunch of feedback and then I did that round of edits and then I had a marketing and revisions editor who helped me with both marketing and those final rounds of edits, it was several of them. Um, and I had beta readers and um, I think it's the, the kind of opportunity that not a lot of people actually get with their first book. And I was very thankful to have found it. And so that's the actual physical doing it piece that I think is different than maybe other people. But also um, two more things. The first thing is I wanted to walk away from this project multiple times and I, that surprised me. Um, because I was so committed to it and yet there were at least twice where internally I kept saying I just want to burn it all. <laughs> I don't want anyone to read this and I'm done and it's too hard. Um, and I was so thankful that I had an editor that I had paid and so we were meeting every week and I couldn't just walk away because I mean I could but I didn't want to because of that. Um, it wasn't just me you know in a, in a one bedroom apartment and no one knew about it already. So I could just stop. Yeah. Um, and then finally how it changed me, um, a lot of what I wrote about, I had actually blocked. Um, and so it required digging it up and analyzing it. And, um, you know, the first draft had like just the outline really. And then the revision process, <laughs> I don't know why I wasn't in therapy, but I wasn't. And it required, um, you know, going into the details of all these different things, including like an abusive relationship and a couple other difficult subjects. Um, but it helped me connect dots and really understand myself and my message because at the beginning of 2020, I wanted to start a coaching business, but I didn't know what I was doing. And finally I realized, well, if I write a book, at least I'll, I'll understand what I'm trying to say <laughs> and understand maybe, maybe be able to show people where I'm coming from if they read a book about my story. Well, it's interesting that you began this conversation with the hero's journey and you just articulated one of the steps in the hero's journey, which is refusal of the call. I wanted to burn this book several times. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think every, every writer has, has that feeling um, at one point or another. And, and sometimes actually there are, there are definitely things that I've written that I've walked away from that were, where that was the right choice. Um, but I, the other thing that just came up for me and I'm not sure, I don't know if you've read um, Stephen Pressfield's The Artist's Journey, but it sounds, you know, what he says is at the end of the hero's journey, you you have a gift and you're and you're sharing your gift with the community. And mm -hmm. that's the beginning of the artist's journey, which is, you know, just it's a we go through, I think, multiple hero's journeys and artist's journeys in our lives. But now you have this this gift of the book, greater clarity and confidence about your process and your approach to coaching and whatever else it is that you're um, beginning to unpack. And now begins the artist's journey, which is how do you share the gift? How do you enhance the lives of others through the thing that you've created? Um, so 
as we're winding down our time together, Natalie, the, the two last questions. The first is, what's next for Natalie Esparza? Oof. What's what's the I, next step in the artist's journey? Yeah, no, I'm still working on it. I have a couple different things rolling around in my head. Um, I applied to be a um, one of the co-founders of the Alt MBA and a couple other things are is now the founder of Maven and it is helping other coaches create um, cohort based programs. And so I don't know if I'm going to get into that, but I've applied and I'm hoping to move forward with that. And if I don't, that's okay. Um, I do have at least two more books rolling around my head and I don't know when they're going to get written because I do want to take a break. I've been pushing myself extraordinarily hard the last year and with everything else going on, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's starting to really add up and hit me and I need to decompress a little bit, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing doing interviews and I'm still seeking, you know, podcasts and articles and whoever else wants to talk to me about this. And I've been starting to do workshops with my book and I had my first one last night and I ran it like an akimbo meeting. And so we had questions and it was a really, um, in-depth conversation and people were starting to get really vulnerable and some of these people didn't know each other and I was really proud of creating that space so I hope to continue doing that yeah well that's all sounds amazing and and yes Wes is involved in a really exciting new project um and it's 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 good to see the akimbo and the alt mba goodness spreading out beyond or the little bubble, uh, because this is how I think we're going to make things better. So in conclusion, the question I always end with is you've already shared plenty of insight and inspiration, but I wonder if there is one last tip or piece of advice or insight that you would share that would um, help our listeners, many of whom like you want to step into their potential and develop and deliver on their promise and help make a difference. What's a, uh, an insight, a, a piece of advice, a tip that you, you like to leave them with? I think one of the things I discovered while writing my book had to do with curiosity. And there are two reasons why I found curiosity is so important. The first is releasing narratives. And so asking questions requires us to consider letting go of previously held beliefs, which I think a lot of people find really difficult, including myself, it's something I'm training myself to do. And the second thing is embracing possibility because letting go of what we know makes room for what might be missing and stepping outside our comfort zone is the only way to grow. And so that's why I'm so like focused on curiosity because a lot of people are like, oh, that's such a, like everyone's curious. But the thing is, speaking of gatekeepers, we have internal gatekeeping, like, oh, we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Or there's certain, you know, subjects that are just avoided, but they're still in society. They're still affecting us like mental health and we need to start talking about them. So. Yeah. Brilliant. Love that. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Natalie and I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. We hope that today's broadcast motivates you to fly higher and lean in to an endeavor that matters with a little more curiosity and courage. Uh, you can learn more about Natalie Esparza at nsprz.com. And of course, it's always great to hear from you at creativeonpurpose.com. Now, Take what you've learned here. Take the insight and inspiration from this conversation and go out and make the difference only you can make. Natalie Esparza, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Scott.